Hello and welcome to Staff Picks, the podcast for movie nerds by movie nerds. As always, I'm Mario Lanza and I'll be your host in our never-ending quest to highlight the movies out there that just need a little more attention, respect, or love in the world. And today's movie is a uh, special treat of mine that I will just drop the hammer right now. This is my all-time favorite movie, The Bad News Bears, 1976, the original. I've seen it countless times. It has affected my life in so many ways. I've coached Little League. I've been involved in baseball my whole life. I just know this movie. Like, this movie is my life. And I could not be more excited to be talking about it today. And I will be uh, bringing on my guest here, my co-host today. If you, uh, let's see, first off, he's a uh, big pop culture enthusiast. He uh, goes to, he's part of this thing, this Delta Bravo urban exploration thing uh, where they go to the uh, the movie locations, take the pictures. He just is a huge pop culture enthusiast, knows everything about the 80s movies and stuff, 70s movies. And uh, you may know him from Survivor. He's the guy, if you ever saw the scene with the dead grandma where Johnny Fairplay lies about the dead grandma, this is the guy who came on and told John about the dead grandma. Welcome to the show, number three. Dan Fields. Oh my gosh, I got my real name. That's awesome. Thank you for having me. I'm uh, more than anything. I love Bad News Bears. Bad News Bears one, and you know, Breaking Training the Second is my all-time favorite movie. But I'm excited to talk to you about the original one. I we both love baseball. Um, diehard baseball fan, baseball cards, the whole nine yards. So I'm super excited to talk about Bad News Bears. Thank you for having me. This is going to be awesome. Yeah, absolutely. Dan and I, we, we have crossed paths many times on the Internet, on Facebook. We're both big baseball fans. We like rival teams. I will not mention which teams we like. But tend not to. <laughs> <laughs> one, let's just say one of our teams, his, is very, very successful. It has many World Series. And then there's my team that's never played in a World Series. So it's hardly the biggest rivalry. <laughs> and unfortunately, that's the closest team I live to. And it's the worst feeling of all time. So <laughs> right. Portland, Oregon deserves a team. Yeah, Dan's from Portland. He is a Northwesterner. You're your native Northwesterner? You... Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm born born and raised. Okay. I'm from Seattle. Yes, I, I go there monthly and have family who live in Seattle. So as both of us know, that's uh, gone from uh, small towns to great, crazy big towns. So, But uh, the Mariners do suck. I got to get that in there. <laughs> hey, so. you weren't supposed to mention the name, you asshole. Oh, that's fine. You'll cut this out. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, yeah, Dan and I just talk about stuff all the time, movies. We just, it's, our minds are kind of in sync here. And this is, this, this podcast itself is kind of akin to throwing gasoline on the fire, having the two of us talk bad news bears. I, I think we're the same age, right? So. How old are you? I'm 43. Okay. We're all oh, 44. So, yeah, same ballpark. So, as far as time progression goes of movies, music, trivia, the whole nine yards, we're in sync, so we're good to go. Excellent. Okay, I get to be the Lance Bass. Wait, I, I chose the wrong one. <laughs> oh, no, hey, nothing wrong with that. <laughs> All right. So anyway, uh, tell me about your experience with the Bad News Bears. I kind of let off at the start saying, this is my favorite movie. And it's funny that, that people always accuse me of living in the past and talking about movies that are only from the 80s. Again, the Bad News Bears is from 76, which is a couple years ahead of my time. I was only two when it came out, and you're in the same situation. How did you hear about it? Honestly, because I said earlier, the second movie, Bad News Bears and Breaking Training, I'm sure I was exposed to that earlier, more accessible on you know TV edits and whatnot. So I'm sure I saw that one a lot more growing up and had to go back to see this. But yeah, it was one of those, I probably, I didn't see this in the theater 100%. I didn't see this or any of them in the theater. So it had to have been from, you know, the Saturday afternoon ABC special or whatnot that I caught it on. 
it was because you were a member of the Corey Feldman fan club. Is that how you heard about it? I, you know what? That's another thing. And um, an unspeakable person once met Corey Feldman. I have too, but somebody else met him and brought up uh, the Bad News Bears TV show that Corey Feldman was on. And he's even upset that it's impossible to find in any format. So, and he wants it as well. So, I, I, I am a fan of the TV show as well. Probably more so than Bad News Bears Go to Japan. I, I'd put that well past the TV show. <laughs> okay, yeah. For people who don't know, Bad News Bears came out in 1976. And uh, it is really the template for every children's sports movie that came out after that. They all kind of copied this template. Mm-hmm. Although, I would argue it really has less in common with those stuff like The Sandlot and uh, Hardball, the one with Keanu Reeves. That the Bad News Bears, to me, really has more in common with Rocky, which came out that same summer. Oh, sure. Absolutely. I mean, I, I was reading up on this um, recently and, you know, obviously this came out at the same. You just said Rocky and, you know, we're into the end of the Vietnam War. So, you know, it's all about the underdogs and, you know, the underdogs getting beat. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's pretty much the end of Rocky, too, is, you know, the guy you wanted to win lost. So obviously we're getting to the end of Bad <laughs> News Bears. Yeah. But um yeah, it was just, you know, this is more of a drama, it's not a comedy. I think I saw you post that. And I mean, there's deep characters. Everyone had, uh, you know, sad stories. I mean, probably every player on the team, the coaches. I mean, it's, it's a sad flick. Yeah, and that's the thing that I think we're really trying to uh, go over in this podcast, and that a lot of the times Bad News Bears just gets billed as the silly comedy. And I think Dan and I would agree that that's, it's a really kind of a deep movie, and there's at least two moments in this movie that are so impactful and kind of like dramatic that like they cut all the music out and all the soundtrack and everyone's just staring at the adults how harsh it is. Like it's really, oh, it's not as, yeah, it's not as lighthearted as people tend to remember it being. No, and, and and both of us have already said, you know, we grew up playing baseball and whatnot, and even though it was, you know, years after this took place, I mean, my little league, you know, was like 1982 to 86 ballpark, so we still had, you know, the parents sitting there smoking cigarettes, and, you know, the the trunk popped open with the cooler full of beer, and that, it, that was still the atmosphere, which is in that movie. I think it catch, catches a lot of people off guard going back and watching this. I can't tell you how many people I've kind of uh, introduced this movie to, or I've just watched it recently after not seeing it for 20 years, and they kind of forget how <laughs> 70s it is. Sure. Oh, I've, I've been trying. I've got uh, two daughters. One's 10 and one's, well, I guess, six and a half, six, six and a half. And um, I've been trying to go back and watch stuff that you know I grew up with and 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 my oldest daughter, who's ten, she knows that you know 1970 movies PG might not mean PG. <laughs> and if I've mentioned a 1970s rated R movie that she obviously can't watch yet, she's just like, "Ooh, that must be really bad." And this movie pretty much sets the bar for what a PG movie can get away with. And it's oh funny. my gosh, I just said that in my Meatballs podcast. Well, this movie sets the bar. No, I think Bad News Bears tops it even more because this, yeah, this is the one thing that, and we're going to get it to this in a minute. That's the the language, these kids swearing, the racial epithets, the uh, adults drinking beer. Like Walter Matthau was forever giving the kids on his team bottles of beer to celebrate. They're literally drinking beer in the dugout. <laughs> that's awesome. I can get off on tangents on on Little League stories of drunk coaches, but no, I did have an all-time favorite uh, on a Babe Ruth All-Star team where the whole team was there and the coaches were nowhere to be found. And they, they were found puking out of a uh, second-story hotel motel window and uh, another parent had to coach. So goes in with this movie. A lot, a lot of beer drinking going on back in the days. 
Okay, before we get into the plot, there's two things I wanted to say, and just that the Bad News Bears again came out in 76, and it was such a big hit. It just came out of nowhere, this big hit for Paramount. And then they made the sequel the next year, The Bad News Bears and Breaking Training, which Dan loves. I love. We will be doing a podcast on that, obviously, at some point. That's, and oh. you will be my guest. Don't worry. We've already got you. Oh, oh God, I'm so happy. <laughs> I'm so yeah. sorry. And then they made the third movie, The Bad News Bears Go to Japan, which Ugh. I am not probably exaggerating here. It may be the worst movie I've ever seen, and that's including The Room. I think The Room is more watchable. No, it's not the worst movie ever made. You've got Japanese wrestling superstars, <laughs> Tony Curtis. I mean, there's big name people in this movie. They all, what bothered me is they were wearing polyester <laughs> uniforms. I mean, they... They got away from but nice button up uniforms. I mean, everyone's wearing polyester. They have the button ups. Boom! They go to those cheesy ugh, ringers. Come on. <laughs> That's the message you took from the Bad News Bears. Go to Japan. That it's a fine movie, other than the the material of their uniforms. Yes, it was awful. <laughs> I will say, a couple years ago, they were selling the three pack of the Bad News Bears movies. You get the Japan Bad News Bears, and then the Breaking Training. And I was so excited. I bought it, brought it home, immediately took Japan out of the package and threw it right in the trash. Oh. Uh, fun fact, I have the DVD sleeve of Bad News Bears Go to Japan signed by Tony Curtis. Wow. I've not posted that picture online, but it is in my collection. Now, the only thing that can top that is if you get Breaking Training signed by Carmen Ronzani. <sighs> oh, my gosh. Jimmy Bayo. Where Where is Jimmy Bayo right now? He need, he's, not, he's not helping out Scott. We know that. <laughs> yeah, okay, we're getting off on a tangent here again. Oh, this is awful. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Cut this out. <laughs> So the Bad News Bears, there were three movies, yes. and then they were going to do a fourth one where they go to Cuba, and it just didn't work anymore. They scrapped that one. They turned it into a TV show, the Bad News Bears TV series, car starring Corey Feldman and Jack Warden, as we heard, and other people, too, that I don't really care about. But, yeah, so this was the thing. It was a big thing, and then they were pretty much all washed up by the 80s. And ever since then, every children's sports movie has tried to rip off their formula. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And before we get into this, I guess, again, we have to say I have extensive experience in Little League. I don't know if you do, because you have daughters. You don't have sons. I have a son who played all the way up through Pony. And I have coached at every level. I have played at every level. Little League in real life is the best thing around, as well as simultaneously the worst thing around. And that's the best way to describe it. Yeah, I couldn't do it. The parents are the worst. Like, even there's some kids that are just assholes. That's just the way some kids are. But the parents, I would never deal with Little League parents ever again. I was asked to coach plenty of times. I'm like, no, I can't do this. And if I ever did do it and I had a son, I would be the guy like my kids playing on a different team. I'm not going to be that guy where my kids on my team. I've, I've seen that in person and and horrible kids make all star teams because their dad's the coach. Like, no, no way. So, again, Bad News Bears, 1976. It's the story of a guy who's basically conned into coaching a Little League team. His name is Morris Buttermaker. He used to. He used to be a professional baseball player. He made it to the high minors, never made it to the majors. And now he's just just an alcoholic pool cleaner. He's got nothing going on in his life. Just a sad old man gets drunk, smokes cigars, and cleans his pool. And wonderfully played in this movie by Walter Matthau, who is, that's literally probably the only role he could play. Well, you made that sound bad. Like, Oh, yeah. I'd say it was, it was written as if it was written for him. Yeah, I'm watching it right now. I've got it on the screen now, and I'm, I'm looking at him. And, yeah, he was a sad sack in this movie. You, you never got the full story, how many relationships he's been through, what what stop was he on with Amanda's mom. You know, he obviously never made it, never even got a cup of coffee, never made it to the big times, and was just the way you said he was. He was a, a drunk pool cleaner. Although, have have you read the script of this movie? Do you know it was actually written for a, someone, an actor much younger? 
That I do not know. No, so hopefully you'll enlighten me. I actually know something about this movie Dan doesn't. He's going to blow me away on Bad News Bears trivia. But I own, this is funny, the extent of my nerddom. I own a original shooting script of the Bad News Bears. I bought it off eBay about 20 years ago. I'm sure it's fake. It's real. It's, I mean, it's like a third edition. It's real printed paper. It's real printed paper. God damn it. Real gold brads, three of them. Shut up. <laughs> Don't destroy my dream, Dan Field. Okay. So yeah, so it's the actual shooting script, and the script was written for an actor in like his 30s or 40s that he dated Amanda's uh, sister, not her mother, in the script. So they, they rewrote it a little bit in the movie that they got an older actor and they made it Amanda's mother, not her sister. So that it was kind of tailored for Walter Matthau. The age difference does, doesn't match up, so I, I get that there. You know, obviously it seems a lot older to, uh, who knows, it's L.A. <laughs> Amanda's mom, you never saw her, you never met her. She was trouble, who knows. Knowing her daughter, she probably was. Amanda is a little rough. Oh, I'm sure she was trouble. <laughs> so, Buttermaker's name is Morris Buttermaker, and again, just the saddest sack of a human being. And again, just one look at Walter Matthau's face, you just laugh. He just always had that sad sack face, and he's so good in this movie. Oh, he's wonderful. He's wonderful. Um, like you just said, sad sack of shit. He's always he's, he's schlepping around. The glass is half empty with him, you'd say. Yeah, well, yeah, and he's constantly drinking. He, what he does every day is he, he drives around, he's got uh, these open cans of beer, usually Budweiser, although it's funny that it rotates. Every scene in this movie, it's a different brand of beer. <laughs> I, I, I just read that, too, and I had to, when I went back and watched this, I'm like, like, it'll be one scene, he switched between three different <laughs> beers. It's great. You know he drank them all. He's non-discriminating. Good man. Whatever's on sale. Yeah, the funny thing is that he'll open the can of beer, and then he opens a thing of, like, uh, Jack Daniels, and he'll pour the, the oh. Jack Daniels into the beer to mix them. And I was reading this great review that the little, the little touches that Walter Matthau does to portray an alcoholic. Like, when he's tipping this drink towards his lips, he'll shove his lips out as if, like, no drop of alcohol can possibly escape from that can. He, has, <laughs> he must approach it with his lips to make sure he gets every little bit of the liquid gold inside. Oh, and it's 10 in the morning, too. And he's just, oh, sweet relief. That and a Marlboro. He's good to go. So, this is the ideal Little League coach. He's constantly drunk. He's got nothing going on in his life. And he has somehow been conned into coaching a Little League team. And there's there's kind of some backstory they don't really mention in the movie, but you kind of have to figure it out, that this is kind of an elite league. It's This is like the top of the line. And, again, anybody who's coached Little League knows there's leagues like this, the rich kids with all the new equipment, all the rich families. Bryce Harper's dad runs those leagues. <laughs> yes, this is Bryce Harper's dad. <laughs> that was not in the original shooting script. I'm just letting you know. No. So that is not canon, Dan. Okay, I'm sorry. So Buttermaker has been conned because basically one of the kids who didn't make this league in tryouts, his dad is a councilman for Los Angeles, and he has sued the league saying it's not fair you discriminate, that not that everybody can play. So there's been this big class action lawsuit. They had to add a seventh team of all these scrub kids that couldn't play in Little League, and this guy, uh, Whitewood, hired his old friend Buttermaker to manage the team. So this is the start of this movie, this team that has no business being in Little League, hostily invading the league with a lawsuit being i mean they're forced on this big league and everybody hates them and nobody wants them to be there and they're managed by this guy buttermaker who is the absolute lowest form of humanity toby whitewood's dad is such a scumbag and what makes me so happy and that buttermaker will sure to be happy is um the actor who betrayed toby whitewood's dad uh, wound up dying of aids so that is a true story. So he, he got his for trying to push his weight around this little league. That's all I got to say about Toby Whitewood's dad. So that's his very complicated story arc that culminates with him getting AIDS in real life. That's true. That's true. After his asshole move of suing the league. 
Oh my god! I mean, he pushed Buttermaker into this. He made him go. He didn't even tell him about getting his own uniforms. I mean, there's just there's a laundry list of this guy. And Toby wound up being a good ball player too, which I don't get. I mean, by the second movie, he's got a first baseman's mitt and pulling shenanigans and pinball tricks. I mean, come on, that kid could have played in, in, on Roy Turner's team. Give me, come on. Yeah, that is the, the, the one thing that he's mentioning, the councilman Bob Whitewood who sued the league to get his kid in. That's the one thing you kind of catch as you watch this movie more and more. The guy sues the league to get his son in there, and then at the first game, the guy bails. The guy never even watches any of the games. <laughs> no, he wasn't even there. He had no care in the world. He's just like, hey, I'm going to be an asshole. I'm going to make these scumbags. He, he had to have something against Roy Turner. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's got to be a whole underlying story. There's there's something involved where his kid got cut from the Yankees or the Athletics or the Pizza Hut team. One of them cut his kid, and he had he had enough. Okay, for those who don't know, again, we're we're throwing names out there. You may not be aware of Roy Turner is the guy who runs the league. He is ostensibly the league president or a player agent or somebody. He's the guy in, in charge. He runs the league. He runs the field. He manages the best team. Is played by actor Vic Morrow, and he's just a wonderful scumbag. Just perfect little league coach. I've known so many guys like Roy Turner in real life where they just. They were a ball player as the kid. It probably didn't pan out. They have a kid now who plays, and they are going all their dreams living through their kid. And it's really painful to watch if you've never seen oh, if you've never seen this stuff in real life. Because again, yeah, I've known so many Roy Turners over the years. Oh yes, a hundred percent. I've I've met Roy Turners. I've seen them. My freshman year of baseball, I dealt with a Roy Turner. He was a scumbag. Like I saw other coaches over a Roy Turner, just an awful person. Um, Fun fact. Let's get into fun facts about Roy Turner. Uh oh. There's a couple, um, a couple that we should mention. Um, the actor who portrayed uh, Roy Turner, Vic Morrow, well-known actor. I know Mario. You obviously know his fate. Um, um, another one of my favorite movies that I've obviously let my daughters watch was the uh, Twilight Zone movie. Vic played a another horrible person in that movie, an awful racist who wound up literally losing his head to a helicopter filming in that movie so i know you know that story are you gonna say that was his happy ending as well just like uh councilman whitewood <laughs> you know what yes he crossed he crossed <laughs> the wrong people and buttermaker got his revenge once again toby whitewood's dad got aids and roy turner got killed in vietnam so wow we've set a new record for darkness on staff picks well done dan <laughs> This is a dark movie, and we've pointed this out earlier. It's a, it's a drama. There, everyone's got demons, and wow, I mean, they come to light. Um, another story, fun fact of Roy Turner. I know I'm jumping ahead to the end of the movie, but hopefully, anyone listening to this is better. Have, they've better have seen this movie a hundred times and want to listen to this. But uh, when he slapped his kid at the end of the movie, I was listening to a podcast, which I hate listening to podcasts, by the way. <laughs> With Brandon Cruz, who portrayed uh, Roy Turner's son, the pitcher of the uh, Yankees. When he slapped him, he actually hit the kid. And um, I had heard the stories you said that Vic Morrow was in an awful place in his life, just down and out, a drunk, probably drugged out of his gourd, and was just, you know, desperate for roles, or just was just in a bad place. And he used this outlet in this movie to get out some of his aggressions through that character, which is obviously shown throughout this movie how much of a scumbag he is. Now, it's funny, on top of you saying all that, by the end of this podcast, 
I am going to try to present a little defense of Roy Turner saying he's actually not that bad. And it's something I think I've mentioned it to you. Do you know what I'm going to talk about here? No, but hopefully it's not. It, he's a bad person just for the fact that he would wear those track jackets <laughs> unzipped way low with nothing underneath. Who wants polyester touching bare skin? Not me. Yeah, I'm losing polyester as a sponsor of the show. That's twice now. You've taken digs at them. <laughs> You're right, I have. Sorry. The polyester industry was my number two sponsor behind Kmart. <laughs> yeah, I lost them through meatballs. I love that scene of meatballs, by the way, at the Kmart <laughs> parking lot thing. Kmart used to be a great store. They even had restaurants in it. People don't remember that. They did. We talked about that. You're clearly not a listener. I don't listen to pod. I've, I've clearly stated earlier I do not listen to podcasts. Yes. Dan said there's one thing he hates. He hates podcasts. He says as he is on a podcast. Wonderful. I love listening to music in my car, not people talking. Okay, so Buttermaker has been conned into uh, joining this league, and he shows up, and everyone there is super hostile. The equipment manager hates him. Her name's Cleveland, and Roy Turner hates him. I'm sorry I'm cutting you off again. Um, Cleveland portrayed. uh, She was related to Dick Van Patten. And how did she die? I think she's still alive. I'm going to have to check IMDb right now. but She never got her comeuppance? She, she she did cross Buttermaker a time or two. Okay. Yeah, so Cleveland and Turner, and they all just hate Buttermaker. They hate that they've been sued. They hate that this riffraff is joining their league. And again, that's it's played for comedy, but you kind of think about it from their point of view. They're not wrong. No, they're, they're, they're exactly like they said. They have the elite league. They've got everything set. And all of a sudden, this guy, you know, some big wig comes in and is like, you know what, I'm going to turn you guys up I'm on this team. Yeah, I get it. There's politics involved. And these kids that are on Buttermaker's team have no business being on this field, and we learn this very quick in one of them. There's, there's 10, 15 scenes in this movie that I love. It's impossible for me to pick my favorite, but this one where he meets his team for the first time, and you meet the kind of rabble that he's going to try to assemble into a baseball team. <laughs> so uh, I, will, I, I know you have something interesting to say. Go for it, Dan. Please lead us through this scene. Can, can, we, can we say this, the, the words that they say? Probably not. Can, can, I, can we, we can't say juice fix niggers. No, we can't say that. Or spazzy wops. Or, wait, wops was the second movie. Yeah, no, all those. No, we can't say any of that yeah, stuff. Yeah, you can't say any of those words you just said. <laughs> yeah, so we'll, we'll just skip all that. But, I mean, these guys, this team sucks. But what's great about this team, and uh, another thing I had read was, you know, they had um, tried to cast actors and, you know, kids for this movie. And everyone they said was just like, oh, my God, these Again, I love the Brady Bunch, but um, these kids all talk like the Brady Bunch. They're all, you know, poised actors and whatnot. So a lot, most of these kids in this movie were, you know, walk-ons and, you know, people they've found. And, you know, they're more raw. They, they had the lingo. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I had read where the director had um, let these kids ad-lib mm-hmm. as well. So a lot of the stuff that came out of these kids' mouths were, you know, whatever came off the top of their head, which I thought was cool and made this movie a little more authentic. Yeah, and that's the one thing that really jumps out about this movie. You know, we're joking about it and talking about all the stuff that's weird about it, but like the authenticity of these kids is amazing. And that's it really shows because most of these were not professional actors. You have the one kid who plays Alfred Ogilvy, the nerd. He was in a movie called uh uh what was it? Uh Mel's Mel's Diner. I forget. Something no one saw. <laughs> yes, but he was in another movie. And then uh, Tatum O'Neill, who plays Amanda, she was in another movie. But otherwise, it's really a lot of first-time people. And I will tell you my favorite casting story. I'm not sure if you've even heard this one. Uh, Aaron Blunt, the little uh, mm-hmm. little black kid who plays Ahmad Abdul-Rahim. Have you heard how he was cast? Um, excuse me, um, African-American, not little black kid. I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm sorry. We can't say those words. You heard what happened in Philadelphia. Stop <laughs> so, it. Yes. <laughs> 
his mom wanted to take him to a casting call, and he hated baseball. He was just a little kid. He liked football. He likes other sports. He wanted nothing to do with baseball. So he's sitting there at the auditions, and he's got this horrible body language. And the casting director comes up and sees him looking all pissy. And they're like, do you want to be here? Like, do you even want to be in this movie? And the kid's like, no, I hate baseball. I want to go home. And so they're like, you're hired. You are in the movie. <laughs> Yes, you know, I did. I did hear that. I, I've heard stories like that too. Like that's that's awesome. I mean, that's how you find real people. And I think both you and I were trading things. Who else wasn't supposed to be Jodie Foster, correct? And then she wound up going to do Taxi Driver. Yeah, for the main star of the movie, Amanda uh, Tatum O'Neill plays the girl pitcher Amanda, and that's the, really was the trademark of this movie for many years. It's the team where the Little League team brings in the girl, and that was like, ooh, a girl in Little League, because you wouldn't see that in the 70s, and she's like an amazing pitcher. So yeah, uh, they end up hiring Tatum O'Neill, but they had originally talked to Christy McNichol and Jodie Foster, and I think you read Sarah Jessica Parker auditioned for it? Sarah Jessica Parker, they said, but uh, she would have been so young for that, too. But we had said it was she was only like a year and a half age difference from Tatum O'Neill, which seems weird. I guess, you know, where kid people start their careers. But, yeah, it's, it's pretty bizarre. Okay, yeah, so the team here that Buttermaker acquires, we got Ahmad Abdul-Rahim, this little African-American kid who's really uh, big into Hank Aaron. Hank Aaron, and if you know baseball history, had just broken the all-time home run record in 74, mm -hmm. and this movie was filmed in 75. So he that would have been this kid's idol. And, of course, he's got the, the militant Islam name, Ahmad Abdul-Rahim. Like, he's kind of an angry little black kid. Now you're calling this guy a terrorist. You said it. First he was a little black kid, and now he's a terrorist. Come hey, on. You're the one who said Tanner's catchphrase earlier, so don't even put this on me. Oh, it was all it was okay. I'll stop. Yeah, so anyway, yeah, so we have him, we have Alfred Ogilvy, this nerdy kid who uh wears glasses, is stick thin. We I love Ogilvy. We got Mike Engelberg, who's maybe the the most underrated kid in this movie that in mo in a lot of movies they'll put the fat kid at catcher and he's kind of happy and jolly but in the bad news bears they are not that dumb they will make him more fleshed out and not to coin a term too much with a fat kid but and mike engelberg is a angry fat kid which i love he's just pissed off the whole movie he was a good hitter too he came up with strong at bats for this during this movie their number two hitter mike engelberg yes that's true and then we have uh Jose and Miguel Aguilar, the two kids who don't speak a word of English and yet to complicate Buttermaker's plan even more. And, and let's let's fun fact, they, they are not terrorists. Those kids are, um, as Toby Whitewood would says, these kids are Mexican and they don't speak any English. <laughs> well, who said they were terrorists? Where did the terrorists part come from? <laughs> well, you mentioned them as brothers. I mean, you remember Boston. Don't you? So all brothers are terrorists? Some are. The Menendez brothers? Come on, the Menendez brothers? You saw what those kids did to their parents. Come on. Brothers are they're, they're awful people. And then we get, uh, yeah, Toby Whitewood, the councilman's kid. We get Timmy Lupus, one of the more famous people in this movie, this saddest, most pathetic little kid. He's got snot dripping out of his nose. He just doesn't talk. Uh, underrated would be Reggie, who, who's never in any of the other movies. He's only in the first one. Um, and he sucks. <laughs> you can see that early on. And his, his dad's a Roy Turner. He's just an asshole. You saw him sitting there in the stands. He's yelling at his, come on, Reggie. I mean, the guy's awful. So, yeah, Reggie didn't belong out there. He wanted to quit. Let's not forget Reggie. Yeah, for people who don't know, they're, they're, yeah, the Reggie's dad comes to practice and just yells at him all through practice. And again, from coaching Little League, that is so omnipresent. There's always... He's there. I'm sorry. To, I'm so sorry to cut you off, but I have to mention polyester again because his dad's always in polyester, track suits, the white towel around his neck. Like, Come on, Reggie! Attack it! Attack that ball! Ugh, awful parent. There's a dad on every team that does that. They just sit at practice and heckle the kid. Oh, 
And the kid does not want to be there. The kid wants to go play guitar, go to drama. He wants nothing to do with his dad or that team. And now we get the famous one, the one that will make this very troublesome to get through this podcast. Tanner Boyle, number four. Number four, correct? I think that's his number. Tanner Boyle, the little foul mouth. He's about two feet tall. He's got a big mop of blonde hair. He's got the biggest Napoleon complex in the world. He hates everybody. He will fight everybody, including Walter Matthau. The seventh grade. He he, he fought the whole seventh grade. He does, but then he goes after his own coach, which is impressive. Oh, that was gold. He went after Kelly Leak. Oh, God, we haven't even talked about Kelly Leak. Well, he doesn't get introduced until later. Yeah, we'll get to him. We're getting there. We're getting there. But, yeah, he fought Kelly Leak. He wanted to fight Buttermaker. He wanted to fight Amanda, um, Roy Turner's kid. I mean, everybody. And he's also a huge racist. <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> Kids on the street. Kids on the street are saying things about him. I will do the best I can to get across Tanner's catchphrase. And we, we Dan mentioned it earlier. He got right past our censors. I don't know how that made it onto the air. But at one point, Tanner, Tanner Boyle has a very... Uh, angry view of the world he's very upset that he's on this team because the team is comprised of and i will do my best to paraphrase all we got in this team is a bunch of jewish americans mexican americans spanish americans yeah african americans boys of fluid sexuality and a special needs child who consumes his own nasal discharge <laughs> that's the cleaned up version of tanner's rant of all these people that are low class on his team oh my god i'm in tears it's a hard movie to quote and Ogilvy reminds him that he's he's in the minority. He repeats him. Yeah, so this yeah, there's a lot of language, and the kids are just reeling off swear words, racial epithets. Right here at the start of the movie, the fat kid Engelberg gets in a little tiff with his coach, and he ends up throwing a ball and smashing Buttermaker's car. And Walter Matthau's like, well, you know someone's going to pay for this. It's going to be your father. <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> yeah, Engelberg says bullshit, which is the first time I'd ever heard a kid say that in a movie. And it's great because Walter Matthau just kind of turns to the camera and does a take, like, sighs, like, this is my team. Because it happened. I mean, it. this stuff happened. This was real deal stuff. No one knew cigarettes were bad and drunk parents were bad. And you know what I mean? It was, it was innocent times. There was no internet. There was no shit. These kids couldn't even go play Pac-Man yet, for Pete's sakes. I mean, obviously, they were going to cuss and smoke and ride motorcycles and have kids and stuff. <laughs> do bad they're bad kids they're having kids that don't, was that in the subplot that was cut that was uh part three at, near the end with uh kelly and the uh, japanese girl it was arranged and that's the one criticism you'll hear about this movie that it's really not meant for today's audiences and as much as i hate that argument it's kind of true in a way this movie is okay from my experience this is how kids talk kids oh, yeah. swear kids reel off the worst comments racial epithets i mean that's and that's kind of underselling how bad a little 12 year old boy kids had pocket knives bb guns real i mean all kinds of stuff again while we're talking i've got i've got the movie on again and i'm at the spot where uh tanner's fist fighting with uh roy turner's kid over the hot dog scene and it's like stuff happened kids got beat up and it was some crazy stuff that went down so i mean a lot of people that you know didn't grow up with this go back and watch it's like come on this is a bunch of crap this didn't happen ah. Okay, yeah, two things about that. And that, well, again, we'll, you'll hear this a lot. You'll see reviews of the Bad News Bears saying that, well, don't show this to your kids. They couldn't handle this movie. Mm. And I will say, I know, yeah, I will give you an anecdote here from Little League a couple years ago. I This is just 2014. This is not that long ago. So when people think this movie is far-fetched and kids don't talk like this, uh, don't be so sure about that, okay? 
So anyway, we're on Little League. I have this kid on my team. He's an eight-year-old. His dad's a doctor, and his mom's like a college professor, and they want him to go into Little League with, like, normal kids because this kid, like, plays the cello, and he, like, doesn't do boy stuff. So, like, we'll have him in Little League with, like, the general population of boys, 12-year-old boys. And I'm like, that's, you know, he's going to be introduced to some stuff he's not used to. And literally, the first day of practice, and I, I hate that I'm using this word, but I have to to sell the story, the dad comes up to me. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change the kid's name. I'm going to say the kid's name is like Isaac. Well, let's say his name's Larry. No one names their kid Larry anymore. So you're <laughs> safe with saying Larry. All right, Larry. So this little kid Larry is hanging out with these tw kids that are two, three years older than him, and he's never been around these sports kids before. And his dad comes to me after practice. He says, my son just heard the word faggot in the outfield. Oh, wow. And I'm like, he's going to hear that. I mean, what do you want me to do? He's like, well, I want you to talk to the boys and tell them not to say that. So I call the boys over <laughs> and I tell them, look, we're not calling each other names. I don't want to hear this word. Did, did you did you bring the kids over and say, hey, that guy over there, go call that dad a faggot? <laughs> no, I didn't. But I have to call him, you know. That's why I'm not a little league coach. You have to call them over and say, look, we're not using that language out there. I don't want to hear that word. And so immediately what this means is they're never going to use that word if I'm around. That's how that works. They're going to use that word repeatedly. And then the dad later, a couple couple days later, says, someone called my son a motherfucker. I'm like, this kid's going to have to toughen up. I'm sorry. There's, I mean, I called the kids over and I say we're not saying that to each other. But like the adults are not around the kids all the time. That's what 12 year old boys do. They just they have horrible mouths. And I've read when these kids were in this movie, The Bad News Bears, that they've said, we love this movie because it's the only movie we've ever seen that shows kids talking the way they actually talk when adults aren't around. Oh, it's true. And kids today have Pornhub. So, I mean, it's bad news. <laughs> that's the thing with this movie. Yeah, it's, it's very jarring to hear kids talk like that. But that's what they do when adults aren't around. And I hate to say that if you're not used to that. And they're not going to change. I know kids cussing and stuff. I, I mean, I don't know about kids, you know, dropping N-bombs and stuff. Shit, I listen to hip-hop music. I'm born and raised, so I'm, I don't know. There's a lot of racism in this movie. And racism obviously still exists in this world today which I think catches people off guard because there's not a lot of movies these days. Well, I guess you finally caught up nowadays with Stranger Things and whatnot, where you do have the kids back again cussing and, and being real kids. I mean, kids cuss. Kids say stupid shit. We all do. And But it's just people think everything was squeaky clean. Let's go, let's, you know, make America great again. Well, you know what? <laughs> kids were cussing then and drinking beer in the, in the locker room. So what are you going to do? And regarding the, the racism in this movie, that's the one thing that I wanted to point out is that, yeah, Tanner's throwing around racial epithets, yet he's on a multiracial team and they all kind of get along. And at one point, Ahmad calls, uh, Buttermaker calls Ahmad on his honky bullshit. So it's like, <laughs> they're just flinging these words around left and right. And I don't think they really even take it personally because at the end of the day, it's them against the world. Like, we're still the bears like so that's the thing there's this casual language and racism getting thrown around but they're all buddies they're all friends it was common it was common language my uh my wife's little brother i, I won't go into full stories of family stuff but he had a best my um, brother-in-law had a best friend he was from hawaii they call him hawaiian boy like it was it was the lingo back then and you know parents were drinking beers in the stands and i think that's what catches a lot of people off guard when they go back and watch some of these movies and even more so you think it's just the kids being horrible but it's like mathow telling these kids shut up like go away sit down shut up at one point he throws rudy stein against a wall at one point he throws beer in amanda's face like he's horrible too like and that's kind of the point of this movie that buttermaker goes into it with the best of intentions wanting to put in minimal effort and coach mm -hmm. these kids and then as he gets wrapped up into it he becomes as bad as everyone else and that's the point of this movie it gets really kind of intense towards the end and dark as he he becomes like the rest of the coaches he became roy turner when he at near the end of the movie he's screaming at the kids and you know, like you said he's shoving kids around throwing beers at people like 
you know, God damn it, isn't this what you kids wanted? You wanted to be in the championship. And I think that's obviously when he flipped and pulled the starters and, and threw in the Aguilar brothers and Timmy Lupus. And, you know, he, he saw after Roy Turner and smacked his kid and like, all right, you know what? I, I'm over, I'm overdoing this too. Let's, let's pull the starters and put the scrubs and let these kids have fun. Basically, Buttermaker's team gets out there in the first game, and they just get hammered. 26 to nothing. They don't even get out of the first inning. The big team in the league, the Yankees, just drubs them. And then after the game, of course, the Yankees star kid, uh, Joey, who's the son of Roy Turner, the guy who runs the league, walks over and even taunts the Bears, said, hey, you know, nice game. Maybe next time you get a chance to bat. And, of course, our hero Tanner <laughs> goes after him because Tanner will defend the Bears to the death, and Tanner tries to fight him. But it's just so humiliating this first game. These Bears are nowhere ready for this league. And again, this is knowing Little League how it would have gone in real life. This team gets destroyed. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Every Little League had that team. There was always that team you knew you were going to go out and like, oh, my God, we're going to stomp these idiots. Like, I'm left-handed. Like, I could have gone up and hit right-handed against these guys. Yeah, so... <laughs> Well, it's even worse. In the first game, the Yankees are up like 16 to nothing in the first, and now they start bunting? Like, come oh. on. Like, if, again, going knowing through Little League, that is the sign of a dick coach when he's up by 16 in the first inning and he's bunting on you. Oh, you're getting lit up on MLB Network for doing that nowadays, too. Like, that, <laughs> yeah, that's, that is a written rule. You can't do that stuff. Yeah, so again, they just get humiliated in the first game, and Buttermaker, again, just drunk. He's put in no effort to this whatsoever, and he sees how hard it is on how hard it is on these kids. It's just humiliating, and then at that point, you know, they all go home after the drubbing the first game. They pout, they sulk, and the councilman who sued the league in the first place wants to call it quits. He's like, oh, we're going to pull the team out of the league. They just can't handle this, and, and Buttermaker... You know, he sees where it's going. Nobody wants to be here. And, like, he's the one guy that says, you know, let's give it a second chance. And so this is where the thing where he's going to bring in his ringers. And this is the time-honored Little League tradition. And, again, anybody who's played Little League or coach knows bringing in the ringer who wasn't in the draft but you somehow slipped onto your team. That is a time-honored tradition, and Buttermaker's going to do it twice. They still do that? Oh, yeah. They still do that. You get the kids oh. that will sign up after the draft. Well, his brother's on this team. We need to put this other kid who's on six travel ball teams has to be with his brother. Like, come on, that kid oh. should have been in the draft. That happens all the time. When I grew up in Seattle, it was a thing every year. It was just kind of a running joke. The uh, quote-unquote kid from California who just moved here. Oh, he was a star pitcher down in Los Angeles. He was he showed up late after the draft. Can we put him on our team? And this that was kind of the thing that happened every year. So that is wow. Yeah, that is Awful. not uncommon. Yeah. So Buttermaker, of course, which I love, plays right into this. And says, well, I happen to know this girl that I used to date her mom, and I taught her how to pitch three years ago. I taught her how to throw curveballs and, and spitballs, which I love. And then this local juvenile delinquent named Kelly Leak, who everyone's scared to death of, but they know he's a good athlete. So Buttermaker, this is his plan. He's going to get these two ringers on his team to show everybody. Oh, my gosh. And who lets their kids sell maps on the side of the road, especially in Los Angeles? I mean, this is 1976. I mean, we're not far, far removed from the Manson murders. And I mean, there's some bad stuff going on, but they never show her mom again. She was probably home drunk, passed out on the couch. So, you know, Amanda goes to the local 7-Eleven, steals a bunch of star maps and goes sits up shop. That's how it was in 1976, Mario. Well, I mean, the mom's probably drunk because she dated Buttermaker. Who else is dating Buttermaker? Oh, and he was had to have been so much older than her, her mom. <laughs> Again, they never show her mom. They, there's, is there any timeline in the book? No, there's nothing. That describes her mom? They never like, show how, her. Yeah, nothing. Kelly Leak, nothing. No parents ever show Should we talk? Oh, my God. Let me just say that Jack Earl Haley is one of the greatest actors of our time. <laughs> really? I love Jack Earl Haley movies. I mean, Breaking Away is a phenomenal movie. 
Damnation Alley, phenomenal flick. I mean, everyone should watch that. Then he comes back as a child molester and little children and gets an Academy Award nomination. I mean, that he should have been nominated for this, so I think that was his lifetime achievement, <laughs> being nominated as a child molester. Who else can love a 12-year-old with a... I mean, he's bald, he's got the Trump hair going over the top. Like, <laughs> what a fantastic actor Jack Earl Haley is. I love Jack Earl Haley so much. I have the Bad News Bears jersey for him. I would love to meet this guy one day. Like It was like a dream to meet this guy. And I'm sure he'll be a dick when I meet him, but what are you going to do? And for those who don't know, he's talking about uh, Kelly Leak. This is the big juvenile delinquent. Who am I talking about? Kelly Leak, number three. I know, but you have to remember, some people might not have seen Last this. of the Mohicans, James Dean. Have you been drinking, Dan? <laughs> I have. In honor of Buttermaker, <laughs> I have been drinking uh, cheap beer all night. So I've been drinking Coors Light since 5 p.m., so let's roll this. So yeah, so Buttermaker, again, he's doing his best now at this point. The team wants to quit, and they want to bail on him, and, and this is another one of my favorite scenes in the movie. He gets to practice the second day after the big game, and they're like, well, we took a vote, we're going to quit, and he's like, well, you know, it's a uh, it's a hard thing to quit, but, you know, this it's hard to admit that you're a failure, and it takes a lot of guts to quit, but we're kind of in this together, and we're going to go, and we're going to play the second game, and, and the kids are like, no, but we voted to quit, and this is where one of Walter Matthau, where he goes for the Oscar here, he's like... God damn it, nobody's vote counts around here but mine. And he, like, throws the uniform in Engelberg's face. And he's like, now get your gear on and get your fat ass up there behind the plate before I kick it up there. And the rest <laughs> of you pansy-ass quitters, move your asses, any position. Pansy, what a great word they don't use anymore. But, yeah, those kids move their asses. Engelberg, we forgot to mention Engelberg early on with the chocolate on the ball. I mean, that's a big scene in the movie where Buttermaker's training these bozos and... Engelberg's talking crap about how he needs his protein and he needs his chocolate for his energy. And Engelberg, there's chocolate all over this ball. Uh, oh, what a great scene is that. And he lays down the bunt and Engelberg misses it. And now we're jumping back, Mario, and I apologize. This is like a, an episode of Lost at this point. Our timeline is all over the place. Oh, and I love that show too. Was Jackie Earl Haley in that one? He should have been. He was the smoke monster. Dude, we got 20 minutes to go. We're barely to the first game. Okay, let's jump into this here. We only have 20 minutes? Oh, my God. <laughs> so, anyway. We love this movie. I mean, we're barely, I mean, geez Louise. This will be our first three-hour podcast. And why is this movie not on Blu-ray? I, I love um, actual physical copies of things, and I still buy Blu-rays and all that jazz. And this goddamn movie is, I mean, at least the first one. There should be a Criterion Collection Blu-ray for this. There should be cast interviews, documentaries. I mean, there's so much more to be told, and, and we're let out, and, it, and it's up to us. And we're not being facetious saying this is like our favorite movie. This It's either this or The Karate Kid. There's no movie I love more than The Bad News Bears. Just, it's so funny, the funny stuff. It's so irreverent, the irreverent stuff. It's so dramatic, the dramatic scenes. And then just we're going to get to the ending, which is maybe the all-time great sports movie ending. It's just It gets, should get so much more credit than what it does. It, it's not just the silly little kids movie. It's really a legitimately, like I said, good movie like Rocky. It's up there, and uh, Karate Kid make, made me scared to want to go to high school. Just right there, I thought I was going to get beat up by asshole karate guys on motorcycles. So, You know, the movie that scared me about high school was The Outsiders. I saw it when I was like nine, and there's a scene where someone gets stabbed. There's a fight in the park, and someone gets stabbed. I never want to be. I'd rather be shot than stabbed. Yeah, I don't want to get stabbed. I'm not going to high school. I don't want to learn. <laughs> 
Yeah, Buttermaker's team, he basically forces them to come back for their second game, and uh, he teaches them, he goes through the fundamentals, we're going to learn some skills, and he basically teaches them the minimum of skills, how to how to field, how to run, just basically how not to fall down and be an idiot out there. No no analytics. Yeah, no analytics. Yeah, we don't get out the uh, money ball stuff, there's none of the high advanced computer stuff. Wait, you know what, I take that back, he did do the shift. <laughs> he does, and I'm going to talk about that. He did a shift, I'm sorry. That's in the third game, though. Once again, you're way off the timeline. Okay, yeah, so the second game, they, they actually finish the game. They lose 18 to nothing to the second worst team, and they get no hit. But, you know, they finished the game, and that's a big thing. And Didn't somebody get a hit? Somebody got the ball out of the infield, or someone got a foul ball. Someone got a foul ball. They hit like 18 <laughs> foul balls or something like that. They're big. So they go out for Cokes and hot dogs to celebrate. And now we go to the third game, and this is where Buttermaker has talked Amanda, the star pitcher, into joining the team. And this is this is really where they start becoming a team because she is amazing. She cheats. She's a cheater. Yeah, that's what I love. That's again <laughs> little stuff that you kind of have to know baseball to really see the little stuff in this movie they're doing. Like Amanda, he teaches Buttermaker teaches a girl how to throw legitimately a spitball, which is hilarious. That's in a kids movie. She like wets her finger. She's got Vaseline under her cap. This is a twelve year old girl, and for people <laughs> who don't know baseball, that's uh, what a spitball is. Is you have a bit of moisture like Vaseline, something that's uh, thick like that on one side of the ball, and it creates a different spin. It, like because one side is less wind resistant. So the ball does all sorts of funky stuff, and it's not something you would ever see in Little League because it takes years to learn how to throw one of these effectively. And Buttermaker somehow <laughs> taught Amanda, a 12-year-old, how to throw a spitball. So she's mowing down these people left and right. Nobody can hit her because she throws hard, she's got a curve, and she's got a spitter, which I love. And she hadn't played in two years, which, which she had been practicing on the side. Who, who's true? Where is she trained on the side? What, like, nine-year-old girl is training on the side to throw, <laughs> throw Vaseline spitballs? She's, like, throwing fastballs at her horse. She's, like, down at the stables. Who has a horse? But she had a horse. She was rich. Oh. She with her pony. Her pony is her backstop. That's what girls, girls would uh, practice Little League back then. Wow. So anyway, the third game, the Bears do really well. They almost win. Amanda keeps them in the game, and they only lose one to nothing because their little spaz right fielder, Timmy Lupus, Ugh. can't throw the ball in. But this scene has one of the most underrated parts of the movie, the shift, which you mentioned earlier. Where Yes, analytics. Yeah, Buttermaker's pulling out all these all these stops to things that you wouldn't see in Little League, and he's got a shift. And this is in the script. You probably don't know this since you are... You are not a script uh, obtainer. No, I don't, I don't have time for that. But in the script, there are two really good kids in the area. There's Kelly Leak and this other kid, Carl Karansky. He's the other big one. And he goes by cool Carl Karansky. And in the, in the script, they like send Ogilvy out there to scout him. That's how Ogilvy learns that he always hits the ball to the same place. So, yeah, in the movie, the Bears put on the cool Carl Karansky shift where they literally shift the entire team over to the left side of the field. That's really one of these cool little moments that I love about this movie. I did not see I did not know that. That's awesome. Oh, I love those fun facts. Because, I mean, Ogilvy had the, the spreadsheet before spreadsheets. I mean, this guy had the notebook. Mm -hmm. Big Ogilvy fan. I loved how in, in uh, the first one he had the same jacket, the yellow jacket with all the team logos. Mm -hmm. Second movie, it switched to an orange jacket with all those same team logos. So, big Ogilvy fan. And I will give you a fun Carl Karansky uh, trivia fact that after the movie, the actor who played him died when a hot water heater exploded. <laughs> That's actually not true. I just made that up. But yeah, cool Carl Karansky in the, in, the, in the script and in the novel is this huge character. He's like the equivalent of Kelly Leak on the Mets. <laughs> Not very cool to get burned by a hot water. Good Lord. That's gold. <laughs> okay, 
so anyway, yeah, so the Bears are getting better. They got their ringer. They got the girl. They're going to bring in Kelly Leak, and they're going to become a dynamo. And all this time, the other teams in the league are seeing them. And uh, Roy Turner of the Yankees is like, why are you still here, Boilermaker? And that's one of the other running jokes in the movie, that Morris Buttermaker gets so little respect that nobody even pronounces his name right the entire movie. It's so great. I, they, it's all on purpose. It's just ribs. It's but, butter whatever, Boilermaker. Butterworth. You know, whatever. <laughs> Butterworth, <laughs> Butternuts, Butternuts, I think is in there. Well, Engelberg gets those names too, Engel Puke and, and whatnot. <laughs> yeah, Roy Turner's kid calls Engelberg Engel Puke later on too when he's going to break his middle finger. We're jumping ahead. We're hours ahead. We're hours ahead. <laughs> yes. It's a, one of those lost time shifts. We just went ahead in the movie. All right, so anyway, yeah, so Roy Turner's like, why the hell are you even still here? And Buttermaker's like, well, Hi, Roy. We're here to play in the championship. It says at the end of the season, two teams play for the championship. We intend to be one of them. It would be really cool if the other team was yours. Like, And it's just a really mocking voice. And Turner's like, what the hell are you think you're doing? And so this is going to be the setup for this movie, that the Bears are going to gain respect and become competent, and uh, they're going to meet the Yankees in the championship. So the rest of the movie is the Bears just all of a sudden improving and improving and improving, and they're going to start winning when we get the final piece of the puzzle, the juvenile delinquent, the 12-year-old who rides a motor motorcycle and smokes and hits on women who are at least 15 years older than him kelly leak and the girls like it i mean he's batting 831 he drives a harley davidson he plays for the bears i mean he's talking to the ladies in smart lingo like do you live around here <laughs> yeah that's the scene he's he's referring to and this is one of i'm again we hope you've seen this movie if we hasn't if you if you haven't seen this movie there is a scene where kelly leak He's again. He's twelve. He's like the coolest kid in town. He rides a Harley. He literally walks up to this woman in a ballet class, and he starts trying to get her to go to bed with him at home. Well, he's he is wearing a he's wearing a sleeveless T-shirt. He's he's got like some Peter Fonda sunglasses on. The comb over. I mean, come on. He plays for the Bears. Eight thirty-one. Who doesn't like a guy who hits eight thirty-one? Yeah, so you haven't lived until you've seen a little twelve-year-old hitting on a woman by saying. I got a Harley Davidson. Does that turn you on, Harley Davidson? And he's the creepiest looking guy. <laughs> he's always—he's a creepy guy, and he always picks up chicks in every movie. Beyond me. Okay, so there's two really important moments that happen here to bring the podcast down a little bit, where we're going to get a little serious here, where the, the kid that gets picked on on the Bears, Timmy Lupus, he's just, again, the most pathetic kid ever, and he's get, constantly getting picked on by other kids, and at one point, Tanner, the kid, the little bully on the Bears, sees that Lupus is getting picked on, and Tanner kind of sticks up for him in a little fight with Joey over the burrito, and this is the moment where Tanner kind of learns, I, like, I can't be an ass to everybody, like, on my team, I kind of stick up, like, we, we have to kind of be together, so that's, it's a big moment. And then the second scene is that Kelly Leak is just hanging out at the field, just watching, and... And Roy Turner, the guy who runs the league, sees him there and basically says, you little juvenile delinquent, get out of my field. You have no business being here. You're a loser. And Kelly's like, you know, I can play ball better than anybody here. And Roy's like, well, yeah, like, we, like we're ever going to see that. Why don't you get out of here? And then it grabs him. And Kelly just glares at him. And this is kind of the moment where the movie changes because Kelly is going to join the Bears in an attempt to get revenge on this guy who disrespected him. What I don't understand, I'm going back again. We didn't talk about, you know, opening day when uh... – Kelly Leak rides his motorcycle across the diamond and slams against the wall in the back. Uh, fun fact, that was obviously a stunt rider who actually got hurt hitting that wall. But, um, yeah, obviously he was he was there to get back at Roy Turner. Again, we don't hear anything about Kelly Leak's backstory. Obviously, he's got to be a troubled youth. You know, he's sitting a 12-year-old kid on a motorcycle smoking cigarettes at a ball field. But um, he was obviously hanging out for a reason. He knew he could play. 
Yeah, so Buttermaker just kind of gets him on the team accidentally, just really out of because Roy Turner was an ass. And so, yeah, Kelly joins the team. And now, from here on out, the Bears are unstoppable. All of a sudden, with all their fundamentals, with Buttermaker cheating and pulling all these tricks, with spitballs, <laughs> and with Amanda pitching, they are they go on a tear. And this is where they start winning. And again, in, in sports movies, they're always kind of played like a fantasy. It's kind of whimsical. Everything that happens in this movie could happen in real life, which is why I've always loved it so much. Like, it's very much played like the games they win, they could win. Oh, absolutely. And you see the opposite teams. You see them flubbing balls. Just like real Little League, no matter how good the team is, someone's going to miss a pop fly. Someone's going to, you know, go to throw the ball to first base and the ball slips off their hand. It happens. A lot of the stuff you see in this movie is, you know, 100% legit can happen in any Little League, any game whatsoever. Yeah, and there's some fun stuff in this movie just that you'd only see in Little League, like when the runners are running past Tanner at shortstop, he'll trip them. <laughs> Engelberg, the big fat catcher, just plows over people at home plate. There's some there's some little stuff like that, which is maybe more of a Little League thing. That That is definitely a Little League thing. And also, too, when you see Kelly Leak hit a home run and goes around the bases, um, get, getting the, the slaps of the of the high fives or the low fives from the kids on the opposing team. That always happened to my little league teams. You know, another kid hit a home run. It's a cool thing, no matter what team you're on. So you gave the other kid a little high five. So the the Bears just go on a tear. And again, again, it's just, it's cannot be overstated how fun this is seeing this team that has no business being athletic at all, like legitimately winning games because, you know, they just do enough to get by. And again, we kind of glossed over the fact, one of my favorite things about this movie, who the Bears' sponsor is on the back of their uniform. <laughs> Chico Bell Bonds. <laughs> yeah, for, for those who don't know, that that's one of the things in Little League that you have to go out and get a sponsor for your team. And Buttermaker was so late in the game, he joined his team with a week to go in the season. All the good sponsors were taken, like Pizza Hut and Denny's. So he has to go around. And he found the only place he can go to sponsor is Chico's Bell Bonds with a little picture of the Liberty Bell, and it says, Let Freedom Ring under it, which is one of my favorite things ever in any movie. But they had the most intricate jerseys. They had button-ups. We're going back to this. All these other teams had cheeseball polyester. At the last second, Chico Bellbonds comes through with beautiful button-up jerseys, embroidered logos. I mean, they went all out. How did they, they get that done in a week? Those jerseys and beautiful wool hats with logos and boss. I mean... It turns out that Chico is an incredible seamstress. They, obviously, they're running something out of the back. <laughs> To, to get that stuff. I mean, it came presented in beautiful boxes. I mean, <laughs> Chico came through. Props to Chico. You know, what's funny is every Little League I've ever been in, they just reuse the same jerseys every year. So I don't know why in this one they get custom jerseys. Oh, my God. Freshman year in baseball, polyester pullovers, and they look exactly like the 1982 Houston Astros jerseys, but a nice mixture of uh, greens and black. Again, the Bears have the best uniforms for being the shittiest team. Depressing. You would think Roy Turner, of all people, who ran this league, he had Denny's? Come <laughs> on. He would have had a sporting goods store that had these kids top to bottom, you know, helmets, cleats, the whole nine yards. There's no way Roy Turner's getting Denny's. Yeah, I get the sense that Roy Turner, like, just is all business. He doesn't care about that nonsense. I'm just here to teach good, hard, fundamental baseball. And that's kind of the sense with him. I just get the sense he doesn't care about that other stuff. Well, he doesn't care about wearing undershirts, so we know that much. He does have the hottest wife in the movie, though. She does, and you get right from the beginning of this movie when, you know, Buttermaker shows up and he's trying to talk to her, and he's just being a prick screaming at her from the other side of the field. And you got the look on her face just like, ugh, my husband's a prick. And you feel bad for her, and you get her at the end of the movie when uh, Joey walks off the field and she's got those jeans and, like, halter top, and like, come on. 
you know, I've never known somebody who grew up in our era and is our age and knows the Bad News Bears and doesn't comment on Roy Turner's wife in those tight pants she wears. Oh, she's beautiful. <laughs> she's gorgeous. She's no way she's Roy Turner's wife. Like, he met her at the Pizza Hut. <laughs> she was a server at Pizza Hut. I will say, okay, I know a little bit about this. This is the actress who plays Roy Turner's wife. Her name is Sherry Summers. She only really did one other movie. She's in Harold and Maude. She's one of the prospective girlfriends for Ma, for Harold. And then she ended up marrying some producer and retiring from uh, movies. But, yeah, uh, she's in those two movies. And everyone who knows this movie knows her. There's a scene later in the movie where she's escorting her son off the field. And she turns around. And she's got the tightest bell bottoms uh, you've ever seen on with his halter top. And it's like, my God, that's the hottest 70s woman I've ever seen. Yeah, there was no moms like that in my little league era. They were all... No. Want me to tell you something you may not know this, no, being too Little League. I will share some Little League secrets with you and with other people. The the hot mom thing is a legitimate thing in Little League baseball. When you get to the draft in majors, and I, I'm spilling secrets. I know a lot of coaches don't like me telling this stuff. But when you get to that point in the draft, you drafted all the good kids, and there's like 20 kids left, and you're picking from kind of the riffraff at the bottom of the pool. Who's ever got the good-looking mom? The hot mom factor absolutely comes in, and they will openly talk about it. The hot mom, that becomes a factor in every Little League draft. Yeah, I think back now on some shitty kids on my teams, and they did have some good-looking moms. So there you go. I, I candy in the stands. It makes up for a lot, I guess, for the drunk dads. So the Bears improve and improve, and they get better, and we finally get to the end of the season where the Bears have one game left to play. They have to beat the Athletics to get to the championship against the Yankees, and by now they're a legitimately good team. And this is where Buttermaker, our coach, kind of crosses the line. And this is, the, I think, the part of this movie that people forget about, why, why I say that I think this is really more of a drama that gets misremembered as a comedy, that Buttermaker, by this point, he's so insistent on winning and facing Roy and the Yankees in the championship that he basically tells his star player, Kelly, just hog the ball today. Just go out and take the ball from everyone else and just be an ass because this game is too important. And so this is where he starts to become like every other coach that he hated at the start of the movie. And he's looking right across from Roy Turner, and he's just like, at this point, he's just like, I got to beat this prick yeah. at any means necessary. And it's, it became personal. You could tell how, how angry he got. And, you know, he had the minor league background. You got, you, you know, they don't say that a lot. You know, he had the minor league background. He's probably got to think this Roy Turner guy is just some prick who never made it. And I'm going to get this guy. What's interesting is the dynamic between Buttermaker and Roy Turner here is that it feels very personal, and there's kind of an underlying thing in this movie that, again, it just seems like two teams going against each other, but you got Buttermaker, who was once a professional athlete, and he kind of threw it all away, and you got Turner, who they never spelled this out, but you get the sense he wanted to be a pro athlete, and he just couldn't make it, and he probably hates Buttermaker. Like, he hates this guy. This guy had all the talent. He wasted it. I can't believe he's in my league. He's an embarrassment. So you, the more you watch this movie, you kind of see it from Turner's point of view a little bit like you would absolutely hate Buttermaker if this guy came into your league oh for sure oh absolutely yeah because he's putting in minimal effort he doesn't care he just he's here for his own personal glory so it's it's very personal between these two managers oh absolutely you you get that 100 percent this he, he stepped on Roy Turner's field and crossed that line and he was after him but we rewatch this. It's not a comedy. It's a drama. It's there's real world stuff going on, and these guys were going at it. And again, we go back to the beginning where we're saying this is 1976, the Vietnam War. You know, us versus them, people battling, and if you know, get to the end of this movie, and I can get where Roy Turner's coming from, and you know, the scumbags sitting over here, drunk, not giving a shit, and these <laughs> these kids who sucked are getting ready to beat us. 
Well, yeah, the juvenile delinquent. Yep. Like, that would absolutely offend any Roy Turner I know, that somebody went out and hired this kid who just sits at this park and smokes and doesn't have no interest in school or baseball, and they brought this kid into our league. Yeah, that would absolutely just drive you insane that that kid's in your league. Exactly, and we're jumping ahead a little bit with Roy Turner. We mentioned earlier with Roy Turner hitting this kid, and how many times did he hit that kid at home? Like, you're going to hit your kid in public, and who knows? Roy Turner could have been in Vietnam. We don't know. We, that that's never really you know, talked about the story, but we've got to take the 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 time into context. What what's really interesting is again, you don't have the script, but in the script, there's a lot of deleted scenes that didn't end up in the movie where Buttermaker and Turner kind of sit down and talk with one another. And there's a scene where they go over to Turner's house for dinner, and there's a scene where where Buttermaker passes out in the field, and Turner has to like drag him off the field before the kids see him. Like they they there's a lot more depth to Turner in the story that ended up in the final movie. I'm really disappointed that you're bringing up the script again and making me to be out that I don't know what I'm talking about the Bad News Bears movie. I thought, Mario, we were talking about the movie and not the script. All this is setting up my defense at Roy that I'm going to do at the end here because I'm going to blow people's minds. Oh, my! I can't wait. This is exciting. So the, the, the Bears win the this, this semifinal game against the Athletics. They advance to the championship, and this is where we get a nice moment where Tatum O'Neill has a nice scene with Walter Matho. This is kind of their one nice dramatic scene where she says, you know, thank you for, for running the team this year. It's been great, and I uh, invited my mom out tomorrow. We could have a big reunion, the three of us. She says, I, I, we're going to go out to dinner into a drive-in, and basically Buttermaker shuts her down. He's like, no, we're not going to do that. I'm a bum. You don't want anything to do with me. And she goes, no, come on. It'll be fun this time. And he, like, literally throws a can of beer at her face he's like god damn it if i wanted your company i would have looked you up two goddamn years ago and it's like whoa like that's a scene that i don't think people remember is in this movie no god that's just pit of your stomach i mean it just oh yeah like i said i rewatched this movie again this morning and you see that scene over and over again it was just like oh my god this poor girl you know she's working on the side of the road you don't see what her mom's up to obviously her mom's dating random guys if she's dating buttermaker and he just shits on her and just like, yeah, you know, she's just like giving her heart to this guy. Like, I want to be almost like, will you be my dad? Like, I love you. Like, be my dad. And this guy's just like, I don't give a shit. Like, take a hike, kid. I just wanted you to pitch. And it just goes to show again how much he hates about himself and just how low Buttermaker really is in his life. It's pretty, again, not a comedy. For as much as we laugh about this movie, there's a lot of sad stuff in this movie. Which makes it, again, it's such a great flick. And again, we're not even to the championship game where all this is going to come to a head and some two incredibly tense and harsh scenes that are coming up. That, that again, I don't think people remember these two. Oh, gosh. No, no. It's, this is a tough flick. So let's get to the championship. Yes, absolutely. So basically, Buttermaker has sold his soul. He's brought in all these ringers. He is completely competitive. He has changed everything about his approach to Little League Baseball as we go into this championship game. And this is where the Bears are going to take down the Yankees. You know they're going to win because they've had all this momentum, and that's how these, these movies work. The underdog team finally overcomes the villains. That's how it's going to work. And they also filmed two endings. They did. They filmed this both ways. That's the interesting thing. They filmed one where they win, and they filmed one where they lose. And uh, I think Dan Avar has already spoiled this earlier in the podcast, but we will let you on. It's, it's one of these things that I've seen the ending of this movie many times, and it's funny. No matter how many times I watch The Bad News Bears, I always think this is the ending that they put the different one in. Well, from what I read, they had originally shown to some um, early audiences with them winning, and it didn't go over well. 
And, you know, again, we went back to the beginning where we're talking about the end of the Vietnam War. You, like you said, with Rocky, it was the underdog. The underdog still lost. And it just you wanted to root for the underdogs. And they did film two different endings to test the audience, which they still do today. They still do two different endings in a lot of movies for audience to test. Yeah, okay, Let, let's walk through the game here, because this is it's, it's literally like 40 minutes of this movie is the final game, and it's really, it's so well done that I'd, I would I would imagine anybody would have a hard time watching this for the first time and not being invested in the final game, because they've built it up so much that the Bears are this ragtag group of underdogs, they've overcome so much, they've been laughed at, crapped on, picked on, and now they're getting their respect in the championship game, and it's very gripping. And again, at the start of the game, it's so hardcore, because Buttermaker is just yelling he's just oh. so intense he has to win this and turner on the other side is so intense and it's very reminiscent of what happens in a lot of little league games you just see at a certain point it doesn't become about the kids anymore it becomes about the dads like the dads are competing with each other you got the parents in the stands yelling it's just it's awful yeah i've never been involved in little league where that doesn't happen at some point that is what little league is i tip my cap to you i know you've you've done a lot with little league and, and coaching baseball there's no way and as much as I love baseball, I love kids, I love talking baseball, there's just no way that I would I would be a coach for Little League or any sort of thing just because of the parent aspect. It's it's awful and ugh. I, I I'm glad I've got two girls. <laughs> As a coach, I was always more like Buttermaker, and not that I was drunk. I don't drink, but like I you just should. I didn't care that much. I'm just here. Yeah, I know. I, maybe I should have. But like I was just there for the kids. We're having a good time, and my team would get steamrolled by the hardcore coaches. And like I didn't really care that much. And there would be parents on my team that would be mad at me, like, "No, we need oh. to practice harder. Like this is for pride." I'm like, "It's not that big a deal. Your kid's not going to play in the pros." But it like these parents have drama because they live near each other. Their kids go to the same school, so there's pre-existing drama yeah. sometimes. And it becomes even worse. It's like, man, like I just absolutely hated almost every single aspect of dealing with parents in Little League. And the moms were the worst. That was the thing. Like the dads would get super competitive, but the moms get into the baby bear syndrome. Like, oh, my son's not playing enough. And then you're getting screamed at or they're gossiping to you. Like, what the? Or gossiping behind your back to the other parents that you're being horrible to their kids. I'm like, what's going on? See, I never got that. I was I was done with baseball through high school and stuff, so I never had the moms that involved. The moms <laughs> None, none of that, but yeah, definitely the dads hooting and hollering. But a fun fact, when I was in the Little League, one of our best players, and this is why I probably love this movie a lot, I'm not joking, in Little League, and um, my wife wound up going to, I've my, my wife and I have known each other forever. So um, her high school she went to, and, um, I played with a girl in Little League, all-stars, second baseman, and then in high school she was a four-letter four athlete. Yeah, I grew up, and she was the only girl who played, and that's what it was like. Girls don't play baseball or softball, but we did have a girl who played Little League with us. And from that and this movie, there was other girls that we let us play in the little, you know, in the neighborhood. Hey, we're going to go play wiffle ball. We're going to go play baseball. And her and one of the other girls that we would end up inviting. I think this movie, to me, opened up more than, I'm, I'm sounding kind of corny, but, you know, more than just boys can play because there was some, we had some dope girls who played baseball that I grew up with. And this was, we're talking early 80s too, which nowadays, obviously, it's a completely different story. But back then, to see a girl play Little League was a pretty crazy thing. And I mean, like I said, I also say to this day, she was one of the best baseball players I ever saw. 
Yeah, I played against a couple, and it's even mentioned in this league at the start. Cleveland, the equipment manager, says it was bad enough that the courts made us take the girls, but yeah. the girls who wanted to play could really play. And that's, yeah. that was my experience as well, that once you get to the higher levels of baseball, if there was a girl, they really could play because they really wanted to. They wanted to, and 100% this girl was awesome and totally reminds me of Amanda. Okay, so the final game starts, the Bears and the Yankees, and right off the bat, there's a fight. The Bears and Yankees get in a fight because one of the Yankees players spikes Amanda in the chest, and there's a big rumble on the field, and Turner and Buttermaker are just going at it, screaming, and it's just it's just ugly, and it's, again, if you haven't seen Little League, if you've never been involved, this movie would be a little jarring, but I can assure you, it's not out of character for Little League. This is how important championship games go sometimes, and I hate to say that, but that's the way it is. Again, we go back to the crazy parents that, you know, push that drama. And, you know, some games you went to when you were a kid, there was, you know, three people in the stands. And this game here, it's it's a full packed house. And you got Roy Turner and a drunk butter maker all over the business. I know we're probably bringing more of our personal Little League experience into it than this movie. But, yeah, it was, some of these games I was at, you know, Little League All-Stars or Babe Ruth All-Stars and it can get crazy, and especially back then, you got you know drunk parents in the stands or drunk coaches can only add to it. And you know we went back to talking about the cursing and you know the racial slurs and stuff. Obviously, that still happens, but you don't see this much anymore with the people you know smoking and drinking around little kids and how much that was in, was was real. You don't, but I will say, and again, this was only two years ago, 2016, you think that times have changed that much, but I was involved with a Little League here, Upland American Little League. There was another league nearby called Montclair, and we played a thing called Interlock, where we'd play our teams against their teams, sometimes at our field, sometimes at their field. Sure. And I, I shit you not. At a certain point, those games got so heated between our two leagues that our board members would not host a game unless there was a police presence at the game. They would literally tell me that. I was the player agent. Player agent's the one that handles all the drama with the parents. And they would tell me, Oh, I would turn around and walk away. Yeah, it's like these three uh, women that ran the snack bar. And they would say, we are not safe here when it's interlock against Montclair. There better be males here on the board watching or there better be a police presence because we're not going to be here. It'll be out of control. Oh, my God. The only thing you should be worrying about is at a snack stand is who's opening up packs of 1985 Fleer and stealing the good cards and resealing them or stealing Chico sticks. Like, come on, police presence? And you think I'm exaggerating. A couple years ago, there was an instance where a mom was upset that one of the ladies at the snack bar wouldn't give her kid ice on a hot day. There was some oh, issue course. about uh, cups. He had to pay for the cup. And so the mom said, I'm going to get a knife and I'm going to cut your face like, in front of everybody at a snack bar. This is Little League. These are like eight-year-olds. Oh, uh, I'm sure there's a meme for her, and I'm sure I've posted it before on Facebook. <laughs> Southern California Little League is no joke, and I'm not sure this is elsewhere around the country, but it is not. It has to be. It has to be. Parents are the worst. Let's get back to the movie here, and you just saying you're living in Upland, and I know you grew up in Seattle, but you've been out in Southern California so long. How come you, of all people, have not gone to some of these addresses and take some snapshots? of? I mean, this baseball field still has to be here. I will say I that is my biggest flaw as a human being, and I will say that with all seriousness, that I've lived in Southern California for 19 years now. I have never been to Chatsworth where this field is, the Bad News Bears field. How far? It's about an hour and a half away. It's up in the valley. Come on. An hour and a half L.A. time or an hour and a half real time? Real time, an hour and a half legitimate as the as the as the car drives. But the thing is, I've heard that there's not like a plaque there. There's no memorial. There's really nothing. But it doesn't need to be. But the field doesn't even look the same. I've heard, and that's what's really turned me off. Nothing looks the same. You gotta go to say you were there. Kelly Lee, Kelly Lee was there. What is this like, fucking Mecca? <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> so anyway, yeah, this this game is just going hardcore. And again, the, the kids hate each other, the parents hate each other. And at a certain point, Engelberg, the uh, hitter on the Yankee on the the Bears, Engelpuke, Engelpuke hits a double off Joey, the kid on the pitcher on the on the Yankees, and then he gives him the middle finger. And this will become important later in this in the game. And so basically, yeah, it just it kind of goes back and forth with the Bears doing something and the and the Yankees doing something, and, and Buttermaker's like telling his kids to lean in and get hit by the pitch, which is the classic <laughs> little league uh, coach strategy when your kid can't hit and you need someone to get on base, tell him to just lean into a pitch. They they actually do that. I never did it personally because my team was never. You did, you did. I'm sure you did. I would have. No, I absolutely would have. But we were never in a close game. And I did. You have to have the right kid. You have to have a kid who's like indestructible. Oh my god. So anyway, yeah. So the Bears start making mistakes, and they and one kid refuses to get hit by the ball. And this is the scene that even Roger Ebert kind of pointed this out in his review. That there's a couple moments where all of a sudden everyone the bad behavior is so bad that everyone's just stunned into silence. And this is the first one where Buttermaker pulls his kids aside in the dugout, and he's like, "What's wrong with you guys?" Like all season long, you've been laughed at, crapped on. They've disrespected you. And now you have a chance to spit it back in their face. And you guys are making bonehead plays. You're screwing up. And like, don't you want to beat those bastards? And like the kids just kind of sit there. And like all the music and all the soundtrack just drops out. It's just these little kids staring at an adult just asking him if you want to beat these bastards. And it's a really powerful moment where Buttermaker realizes, oh, my God, I became a Little League coach just like Roy Turner. He, yeah, it... I'm sorry I'm laughing at you, but it's true. And that's where he winds up flipping and being like, I'm a scumbag. You know, Toby's dad, he needs half of his mustache shaved off and shoved up his nostril. That needs to happen. But yeah, he became he became Roy Turner. He became what he was trying to battle. I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of like Star Wars. You got your bad, you're good. And from here on out, Buttermaker will kind of have a change of, of opinion. He's going to lighten up at the minute. All of a sudden, from here on out, he decides it's not that life or death that we have to win this game. And what's interesting is that he kind of gives up, and the Bears almost win it anyway, which is what makes this ending so interesting. They kind of, in spite of all his efforts, will almost come back. But we are up to the scene now that is the pivotal, and I'd argue the most important scene in this movie, where Roy Turner is going to hit his child on the mound. Oh, my gosh. Just real quick, though, do you think, though, at that point in the movie where Buttermaker was so furious and wanted to get Roy Turner that he would have really done that stuff and, and switched everybody out? Had he wanted to win, no way he would have done that. No. I mean, if he still wanted to win, there's no way Timmy Lupus sees the light of the day, even though no. there's, well, there's Little League playing time rules. You must play people in a certain minimum amount of time, but he would not have put them in the last inning. Now, now let me get to uh, Little League rules nowadays with you, Little League. Wouldn't it have been smarter, like these kids that you ha forced to play, wouldn't it have been better off just playing them in the first inning? Um, you would think so. The key is you don't play them all at the same time. You rotate them around in right field. You rotate them? That's the key. Okay. All-stars, it gets really tricky in all-stars because you have, there's minimum play rules, and if a kid doesn't play all that time, then the coach gets suspended for two games. It's like league league requirement. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's insane. Ugh. Awful. Baseball sucks. You're ruining baseball for me, Mario. This is awful. Baseball ruined baseball for me, so you feel the pain, my friend. Oh, this is awful. These poor kids. And blame the parents. Again, let's with the movies shows, blame the parents. Yeah, it's terrible. So, okay, here we okay, go. Okay, I'm sorry. We're jumping around here. Let's get back to the main point in the movie where, uh, where Joey gets smacked. This is, and this is a little bit of a misunderstood scene. This is where I, I have to bring in my Roy Turner defense, which is a horrible thing to do when I'm a defending a child slapper. <laughs> but I will say, okay, for the for people who don't know this movie, there's a scene where uh, Engelberg for the Bears comes up to bat against Joey, and he hits a foul home run. 
and then Joey's all stunned. These two kids hate each other. Again, this there's oh. we get the impression these kids hate each other from school. They've all yeah. There there's got to be drama from school. Yeah, pushing each other in the hallways. There's there's drama, big drama with those kids. Yeah. So Engelberg's been giving Joey the finger, and Engelberg is again not blameless in this. But the the dad Roy comes out to talk to his son pitching, and he's like, "Well, that kid almost hit a home run off you. I want you to throw the next pitch low and outside. Don't give him anything to hit." Which is right. Which is That's correct. Right. That's the right call from Roy Turner. First time in the movie, Roy Turner is given the right call, brother. So so Joey says his pride's hurt. He's like, well, Dad, I can strike him out. I don't want to walk him. And the dad's like, no, low and outside. Don't give him anything to hit. And so the dad goes back in the dugout, and Joey's getting ready to pitch. And Engelberg at bat decides to give Joey the middle finger again, basically like, fuck you, I'm Engelberg. I'm going to hit a home run off you. And Joey, having his pride hurt, decides, I'm not going to throw it low and outside. The next pitch is going to come right in Engelberg's head. He basically tries to kill Engelberg with a fastball right at the face. And so it's this big dramatic moment where Engelberg almost goes down like it's nailed in the face, which is a serious thing in Little League. You don't do that. And Roy Turner comes rushing out to the mound saying, did you throw at that kid? And Joey's like, Dad, but I didn't mean it. And then Roy literally, and again, this is a very harsh scene, and even I've seen this movie hundreds of times, that he wails, he reels back and wails on his kid and smacks him right in the face and knocks him down in front of everybody. And as I said earlier, because I like to jump around this movie so much, he did hit him. He did, in real life. And and we talked about Vic Morrow dealing with uh, drama and demons in his life, and it was all built up right there, and he actually hit that kid, who was also in um, Eddie and the Courtship of His Father. That's right, with Bill Bixby, who later died of cancer. Bill Bixby. Well, there you go. <laughs> Buttermaker strikes again. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, Joey Turner gets knocked down on his ass, and it's really this really harsh moment. And I, again, I've been in Little League my whole life. I have never seen a dad punch a kid like that. No. I've seen things that are close. I've seen kids tell their dads to F off and walk off the field. I've never seen a full-on punching of a kid. And it's this really harsh moment. Again, it's hard to say this is a comedy at this point when Joey just got waylaid by his father. And then on the next pitch, Engelberg grounds the ball back to the mound. Joey picks it up, and just as revenge for his father, he just stares at him, and he will not throw the ball to first base. Engelberg basically circles the bases, gets a home run, and it's one of the more charming, delightful, exciting, horribly sad scenes you're ever going to see in a kid's movie. It was very sad, but also at the same time, that was a great inside-the-park home run. It was the the fat kid. The first time in league history, the fat kid with the inside the park home run. With a dribbler to the pitcher. <laughs> oh, no, I, I, I get, they had to have that. That was the drama buildup and oh, just dropping the ball at his foot. Yeah. And then we get the um, the beautiful Gene Bellbottoms. Oh. Yeah, the hot mom scene where she escorts him off the field. Oh, where'd she take him? Pizza Hut? Something like that. Denny's, maybe. Denny's was the sponsor. Maybe he got a, a Moons Over Miami or something. No, she's, you know, she knows Roy Turner's been in there drunk and causing <laughs> scenes before where they got the jerseys. She's not stepping foot in there. She knows better. I have to do my defense of Roy Turner here, and this is where I'm going to blow people's minds. Okay, I'm ready. So at the start of the movie, there is a scene with, on opening day when Roy is dedicating a scoreboard. Do you remember that? It's the new scoreboard they have at their field? The kid, some kid that died, right? Tommy Martindale is his name. He died. What happened, and this is in the script and it's in the slideshow where they're in Pizza Hut at the start of the movie. You can kind of see it going on in the background. People don't go to pizza. I'm sorry, but people don't go to pizza places anymore for uh, opening day type stuff, do they? Well, they don't have sit-down Pizza Huts anymore. They don't exist. Well, pizza places in general? You go there after the game. That's like a team party place. Well, where do you have your uh, jamborees? Don't people have jamborees? It would be on the field. They bring out uh, taco carts and vendors and stuff. It's on the field the day before. Well, no one wants that. People don't go meet at some place and have beers and pizza. That doesn't happen anymore. 
we had Pizza Baron when I was a kid. Everyone's at the Pizza Baron. They had that all set up. You get the red plastic cups with a little bumpy, you know, you get root beer. They don't do that anymore? No, I'm going to see if I can get Pizza Baron as one of our sponsors. You should. <laughs> no, they. I mean, they do do that sometimes, but it's not as prevalent. It's usually usually opening day is on the field. Again, baseball nowadays sucks. It's awful. This is horrible. <laughs> no smoking, no drinking, no pizza. Come on, kids. <laughs> Jeez Louise. So wood bats. These kids were using wood bats. Where do they get these? Come on. Are you done? Yes. I'm sorry. Roy Turner. In defense of Roy Turner, I can't believe this. So the defense is. This kid, Tommy Martindale, was killed by a pitched ball. Someone threw a ball, it hit him in the head, and he died. And they have raised all this money in honor of this kid who died, and they put a scoreboard out there. That's the Tommy Martindale scoreboard. You can see it in the movie. It's, That's true. They kind of gloss over it, but you can see it. And in the script, it's a big thing that Roy Turner has been the guy who fundraised for it, that he felt horrible this kid died. I don't remember if it was a kid on his team or not, but it was it was a horrible moment. But that's the thing, that this kid has died, and this is on very, very ways on everyone's mind. So, later in the game, when Roy Turner goes out to talk to Joey, don't pitch to Engelberg, the people in the audience, the crowd, don't know what he's saying to Joey, sure. and it looks to them like he's saying, throw at this kid or hit this kid. Ugh. So when Joey throws at that kid's head, that's the first thing that's going through Roy's mind, that my kid could have just killed another kid, it's going to look like I ordered that beanball, and that's why he's so furious when he rushes out there, because... How dare you, after so soon after Tommy Martindale, how dare you headhunt on my field? So that's, <sighs> you can almost see in his mind why he is so angry at that moment, that that is unforgivable that you would try to hit a kid in the head. All I got to say, that was in the working script and not in the movie. <laughs> I'm just saying that, that it makes sense. I can see. Why well, It does. It makes, uh, oh, wow. I don't think I can ever watch this movie ever again. I'm just saying that he's not. You've made Roy turn into the hero. He's not the hero. He's just no nonsense. He does. He understands baseball. He respects it. He does not like tomfoolery. No nonsense. He doesn't wear an undershirt. He doesn't. Yes. Ugh. But that is the thing that you can almost like. You don't hit your kid, obviously, but you can see why he would be so angry and why he would think that people would have thought that he just ordered that pitch. Oh, he hit his kid before, and he hit his wife. You know it. But just the way she walked out of the field at the beginning of the movie, and she's like, "Ugh, ugh, you're talking to me like that, Roy. It's baseball season." Stop it. All right, we got about 10 minutes here. Let's finish strong. I thought we'd been strong all evening. Come on. <laughs> well, we're going to finish strong. Okay, we'll have some discipline here. So anyway, I'm sorry, I'm going to cut you off. We haven't even talked about Brett Marks yet. Come on. I don't know if we're going to talk about Brett Marks. Oh, he's, he's related to the Marks brothers. Come on. All right, let's roll. All right, so it's the championship game. It's the last inning. It's 3-3. Three to three. Joey Turner has left the field. Yeah. Uh, Buttermaker has basically given up trying to win. It's just everything is just going horrible haywire, and Buttermaker realizes, you know, let's just have fun. He sends his scrubs out there. He sends Timmy Lupus out there. He sends Ogilvy. It's the kids who have never have any business touching the ball. He just puts him out there for the last inning, saying to hell with it, and... And this is where, you know, uh, Whitewood, the guy who sued the league in this first place, comes out and said, what, why are you giving up? And basically Buttermaker tells him off, I'm going to shave off your mustache and have it up, shove it up your left nostril. And the Yankees immediately score four runs, go up seven to three. It looks like the game's all over. And Roy Turner almost kind of looks embarrassed that, well, we're going to win the game, but I lost my son and uh, we had to do it against a bunch, a bunch of scrubs, but we're going to win. So whatever. And this is where we get one of the greatest chill moments in sports movies that you, it kind of comes out of nowhere where all of a sudden it looks like one of the Yankees hits a home run to put the game out of reach. And Timmy Lupus, the little spaz who's never done anything heroic in his life reaches over the fence and robs him of a home run and makes the catch. And it comes out of nowhere. It's like, whoa, Timmy Lupus just saved the day. 
Oh, it's so great. And also, too, when, when Buttermaker starts clearing the field, the Yankees are up. And um, I'm watching it now, actually, the scene right now. And, like, the crowds are just leaving. Everyone's leaving. But it's like it's like the Mariners losing 15-0 to 0 at Safeco Field. Everyone's <laughs> leaving the place early. The place is emptied out. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, I'm, I'm watching it right now. And it's just like they're, they're, they're putting the scrubs in. They're doing the little things, the bunts here and there. And uh, people are starting to come back and sit in the crowd. Miguel Aguilar is up to bat. Yeah, let's walk people through this. So Lupus makes this incredible catch. Oh it's one of these scenes as a kid when I saw this, just like chills through my body just seeing because you know. It's Rocky winning. It's Rocky winning. It is Rocky winning. So Lupus makes this catch and the Bears like, yay, we're not going to get blown out. And then they go to the bottom of the inning and they get three outs. They're down by four runs. They have a chance to win the game. And, of course, all their starters are out of the game. It's just these little kids that never play. And they get two immediate outs in the bottom of the inning. And basically everyone thinks the game's over. And then all of a sudden the most improbable comeback in baseball history starts where Ogilvy, the tall, skinny kid with the glasses who can't hit, never had a hit in his life, somehow walks the pitcher walks him he should have struck out he should have struck out that guy had the weakest swing ever yeah i know well one of those pitches was a borderline strike i think the ump should have rung him up on the 2-2 pitch (laughs) stat tracker we got to get stat tracker at these little league games stat tracker he was swinging at nothing so anyway so ogilvy walks and then uh ahmad abdul rahim comes up there and he has this one this great quote he's like this is for allah and it's going way out there sucker oh see now you're bringing up terrorists again I'm not. Allah is the god of peace, Dan. Allegedly. Okay, so so Ahmad Abdul-Rahim bunts. He does his little Muhammad Ali quote, and then he does a bunt. And then we get the third kid up is Miguel Aguilar, who is literally about a foot and a half tall and is built like a fire hydrant. <laughs> like, there's no way you can pitch to this little kid. And Miguel's up there, and he's sneering, and he's like, Grr! like he's trying to put on this mean face, and it's hilarious, and they can't throw him a strike. So he walks, and all of a sudden the bases are loaded, and the tying run for the Bears comes up to the plate, and you hear the dread cry from the announcer, now batting, number three, Kelly Leak. And they're going to walk him. Yeah, so the Turner, which probably is the right move here. This is the Barry Bonds move that you intentionally walk. Uh, Yeah, this is noose. This is Joe Madden garbage right here. (laughs) So, yeah, so the the coach of the Yankees decides he's going to go walk uh, Kelly Leak. We're not going to let this kid hit a home run to tie the game. And that's that's what Kelly does. He's the one that always hits the home run. So they start pitching these balls outside that he's unable to hit. It's kind of a cowardly move. And Buttermaker looks at the scoreboard and he kind of tells Kelly, he signals with his eyes, reach out and hit that ball. Reach out, reach over the plate. Oh, it's Lou Gehrig, pride of the Yankees. Got to reach out. And Lou Gehrig, he had a happy story. <sighs> Buttermaker again. I love, whenever you're ready for Pride of the Yankees, I love that movie too. So we're good to go. We're good to go on the Pride of the Yankees podcast whenever you are. Yes. Okay, so and then Kelly Leak reaches out and hits a ball that would have been a home run probably if it was a strike, but it's so far outside he can't get it all the way. He hits it into the gap, and all of a sudden this game gets really, really exciting that Kelly Leak's about to clear the bases with an inside-the-park home run and tie the game. And again, it's one of the more gripping scenes I have ever seen in a sports movie, kids movie or otherwise, that Kelly's circling the bases and like all of a sudden the Bears fans are going crazy and Roy Turner's like no and you see Kelly circling the bases and the Yankees throwing it back in and again the gut punch to end all gut punches when you're 12 years old and I hate we're going to spoil this for you but that's what makes this movie so magical is that Kelly Leak is thrown out at home plate the Bears lose 7-6 to six. and oh my god they lose to the Yankees they lose to the Yankees 7-6 to six yet still become the California champs and get to go play in the Astrodome. Yeah, don't, if you've seen the sequel, they, at some point they mentioned the Bears are the champions of the entire state of California. But never how. 
how they how they become come on there had to have been a better team in San Diego or come on they didn't even win the North Valley League I don't know so anyway wait we'll we'll get to that in our sequel thank you so the Bears lose and it's one of these again so much like Rocky that you get to the end and you're fighting for respect and you just don't make it and that's the thing with real life not the good guys don't always win like I said I've seen this movie so many times and every time I watch. I keep thinking this is the time they're going to switch it and the, the happy ending is going to be in there because it's so gripping. But the Bears <laughs> lose, and it's like, oh, my God, I can't believe. And, it, like, as a kid, I, I'd never seen a movie where the hero loses like that. It just hurt me. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I'm laughing right now. And just to turn this, you know, we talked about racism earlier in this movie. But my but my deceased dad, he collected World War II memorabilia. He uh, was born in 1931, so, you know, when he was a young kid, up the same age as Bradley's Bears, was World War II was going on. And he, he enjoyed watching World War II history videos, and he would say, anytime one would start, he would say, this might change, this might be the one where Hitler wins. <laughs> so, <laughs> My dad was not a racist, by the way. It was just a gag. And it makes this movie, you know, exactly the same as we said earlier with Rocky. You expected Rocky to win. You expected the Bad News Bears to come up and win, and they lost. It's horrible, and the movie does not hint that that's going to happen at any point. It's so set up for the Bears to win, and they lose, and you don't really know how to react to that. And what's funny is now we get this little uh, spiritual victory at the end. This is the part that everyone seems to remember. Oh, so good. Yeah, the Bears have lost, and they have to face the Yankees, and this little thing where you have to go meet your opponents at home plate, and everybody just hates each other. They There's so much uh, lack of respect. They do a little chant, they come up and they have to shake hands, and, and the Yankees have to present a little trophy to the Bears, and one of the players has a little speech for the Bears. He's like, uh, you know, you guys played a good game. We still don't think you're all that good at baseball players, but you got guts, all of you. Which is supposed to be nice. And so they do their little 2468, who do we appreciate, and they give the Bears their tiny little trophy. And of course, Tanner, this is the, the moral victory that the Bears will win at the end, that Tanner says, uh, hey, Yankees, you can take your trophy and your apology and shove it straight up your ass. <laughs> <laughs> and loop. The looper, wait for us next year, he heaves that little trophy at him. Yeah. And they just start dumping beers all over each other. Like, who? what team would you rather be on right there? The Bears, where you're dumping beer on a bunch of little kids and calling people out, or shitty Yankees? So the Bears have lost, but somehow they've gained respect. They got respect from the Yankees. They got respect from the league. Roy Turner begrudgingly respects Buttermaker. And yeah, so to little Timmy Lupus, the most quiet, meek kid ever, has thrown his celebratory statue at the Yankees and said, just wait till next year. <laughs> and then all the Bears erupt in cheers, and Buttermaker starts pouring beers over their head. And it's a big, raucous celebration, and that's the end of... My all-time favorite movie, a movie that they I cannot think of an equivalent of. It's just something I love so much. And, I again, I watched it today, and I just am entranced. You always get wrapped up in it. I love it. And there's so many little things about this movie that I catch. Like, I don't know if you've ever caught during their team picture. There's earlier in the movie when the Bears are sitting there taking their team mm -hmm. picture that uh, Tanner and Feldman have their fingers over the, the, uh, the little display. And they have their middle fingers down. They're flipping off the camera. Oh, I did not notice that. Oh, I love stuff like that. Now, we, we talked earlier, and we we looked up some stuff online. Did you ever – I couldn't catch where the kid said, fuck it. I'm sure it was there. Oh, yeah, I know exactly. There's one F word in the movie. It's where it's where Joey Turner is trying to hit Engelberg in the head with the pitch. Okay. You can hear someone say, Ugh! I mean, it's, it's the F word. Someone screams it, and I think it's Engelberg screaming it. And, the, and what we both read was that was the first ever F-bomb in a PG movie. Correct. And hardly the most disturbing line in this movie either. Oh, my God. No, there's, there's way worse. Okay, let me, let me mention a couple other things here. Yes. This is 
one of Quentin Tarantino's favorite movies. Did you know that? Oh, wow. I did not know that, but good for him. Yeah, a couple years ago, he went to found an auction where they had original prints, and he bought an original uh, movie theater print of the Bad News Bears from 76, and he's said in interviews it's one of his most prized possessions. Well, along that with his VHS tape, so good for him. <laughs> and let's see what else. Philip Seymour Hoffman once said this was his favorite movie. Good. Good man. Um, R.I.P. And I have to end this podcast with one question, and this is something yes. that always comes up when I watch this movie. Okay. Why the hell did Buttermaker never pitch Kelly Leak? Wow. Wow. You, you've got me stumped because when we first see where he uh, Amanda says, like, look at this guy. Let's get this guy. He threw that ball from past the fence all the way to home plate. Like, boom. This is the only Little League team in history that they took the best athlete and they buried him in the outfield. He didn't play shortstop. He didn't pitch. Yeah. We, uh, no, they always pitch. They always pitch. The big kids, the big kids that had the early hormones and had the hairy legs in the league and hairy armpits, they pitched. So that is the one burning question when I watched this movie. Wow. He would not have been in the outfield. He would have not been in the outfield. Kelly would have pitched every other game with Amanda. He would have pitched. Yeah, they would have flip-flopped them, and he would have been in the infield. No questions asked. Yeah, that, I'm, I'm on board with that 100%. So before we sign off here, is there anything else you would like to mention about the Bad News Bears? Anything that would sell people on this movie? Why? What you think its legacy should be? Anything else you want to end on here? Oh, wow. I mean, it's such a great movie. But one thing I keep looking back, I saw a billboard, and it was for a movie theater. And it was Star Wars. It was Rocky, and it was Bad News Bears. And I think a lot of people forget about how big of a movie this was back then and how up there it was with a lot of other flicks in that in that era. And, it's kind of got lost in the shuffle. Again, it's not on Blu-ray. Very disappointed. It's a great movie. I don't think you even have to be a baseball fan to, to watch this. But again, you'd probably watch it and think it's just some silly baseball flick. But It's not. It, it's, it's a deep flick. It's a deep flick. There's lots of... You have to watch it multiple times and maybe watch it from each character's point of view. Again, like you said, it's it's a fantastic movie. It's not just a baseball movie. It's not a little league movie. It's it's a it's a deep flick. And if you if you really read into each of the characters and what was going on, it's it's a pretty important movie. Yeah, and I've heard people even say it's like a very dark satirical commentary on American society, on consumerism. Which I I don't really get that. But if you want to watch it that way and say it's like a parody of American values, sure, go for it. Because it really again, it's not a silly little fluffy comedy by any stretch of the imagination. No, and, and uh, Billy Bob Thornton should be shamed to his death for that garbage. I'm, you know what? I'm sad that I even brought up the remake. That movie sucked. I was going to ask. I was going to finish on that. Should we even mention the fact that they remade this and it was a steaming pile? No. And again, that is our coverage of The Bad News Bears, my favorite movie of all time. I'm so excited we finally had a chance to talk about it. And uh, you can just hear how much fun we had talking about it and goofing around and just joking about it. And I'm hoping that this movie will grow on people who have never seen it or haven't seen it in many years. It really is so much better than it, you tend to think it would be. It's just so got more, so much depth than a movie of its caliber should have. And as always, again, my name is Mario Lanza. If you need to reach me, you can reach me at staffpickspodcast at gmail.com. You can reach me on Twitter at Mario J. Lanza. And until the next time I talk to you, I will be out there looking for another movie that deserves more love. Talk to you guys later. Bye. Now, guys, somebody's going to pay for this windshield, and I think, Engelberg, it's going to be your father. Bullshit.